Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned, independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at banyan.com. Please subscribe follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Branches of Wisdom, brought to you by Banyan Books. I'm your host, Ross McKeechee, and really excited for this extra special workshop event today with our dear friend, Matt Kahn. Before we get to Matt's introduction, I'd like to welcome everybody, wherever you may be joining from around the world, and acknowledging that the physical location of Banyan Books and Sound in Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood is on the traditional and unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. So today is this wonderful event with Matt Kahn. We're celebrating his new book, All for Love, the transformative power of holding space. I'm sure most of you know, but I'll tell you, Matt Kahn is an incomparable spiritual teacher, highly attuned empathic healer, powerful speaker, and a captivating author. He enriches people's lives by providing heart-centered solutions that ignite, delight, and unite. Matt wrote the highly acclaimed books, Whatever Arises, Love That. Everything is here to help you, and the universe always has a plan which have been translated into more than a dozen languages. His second book, Everything is Here to Help You, was featured in the Be Kind box by Ellen DeGeneres. His newest book, All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space, is receiving early accolades and is sure to top bestseller lists. Matt has become a YouTube sensation with his healing and often humorous videos. With 21 million YouTube channel views, followers are finding relief from the challenges of daily life through his heart-centered messages. Among his honors, Matt was named one of the top 100 most spiritually influential people, living people by Watkins Magazine, alongside the Dalai Lama and Eckhart Tolle. When the world gets crazy, help is here. One, I love you at a time. So Banyan community, everybody, please join me in a warm welcome for Mr. Matt Kahn. Hello, thanks for having me. What an honor to be here with you. So great to have you here, Matt. (laughs) Really great. Thank you. Now your new book, Mm. All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. I mean, there probably couldn't be a better time ever for a teaching like this to be coming out given the state of things in the world and for all of us to be learning about holding space for ourselves Mm. and others. Maybe you can just fill us in on 
you know, I, I love hearing your stories about your writing process because you're always so excited about the things that are coming through to, you know, <laughs> like it's just this new experience for you. Yes. What was the inspiration for this book? What was the process like in creating this book? Well, thanks for asking. I mean, it, it was such, th this book was like capturing lightning in a bottle. Th this book for me wrote itself through me like all books do, but this book came so deep and so quickly. I, I think I wrote the first draft in about a month and a half and it was during the time of the George Floyd incident in, in Minnesota and we, the world was divided and angry. And I was just watching how the world we've known, you know, prior to the lockdown and everything was, was a world that's changing. And of course we know the world's changing with the awakening of consciousness that's been happening over so many lifetimes and generations. But we're really starting to see the world changing because the consciousness that's been awakening on the planet is accelerating. And a lot of times when consciousness expands, it brings up in the individual and collective view, the things that have been seen process or healed. So during the George Floyd incident, I was watching the world of, you know, the collective and individuals work through a lot of really deep things and watching how the differences in our viewpoints became a breeding ground of division between people. And I started to realize that this was the perfect time for me to write a book about conscious communication and how the very way that we can talk to ourselves in a, in a loving manner that accelerates our healing is also what can repair relationships or at least give us the understanding of who can meet us in the deepest place and who can't. So I, I found myself at this time during George Floyd really inspired to write a book on conscious communication and really wanting people uh, to change the way they spoke to themselves and one another. And in a time when we seem the most divided, how is this the most fertile climate for awakening and unity on this planet? So I wrote the book and I also infused in every chapter a personal story that became the backdrop of how I learned each of the 10 attributes I highlight in the book. And so this was the most personal share I've ever offered. This was some of the most gut-wrenching material I've ever written. Um, I spent most of the book bawling my eyes out. It was incredibly cathartic. And it really, for me, was a process of integrating my spirit back into my body, right? For, for to not just to complete the awakening of we expand our consciousness, but then it has to reorient back in the body. And so for me, the book itself is also a journey that each reader goes on to integrate their spirit into their body. So it's a book that focuses on integration. It's a book that accelerates healing. It helps us communicate better with our own innocence as well as connect with the innocence of others. And, you know, I love all the books that I write, but I this one touched my heart in a very special way. And I think that it came through me at the exact right point in time in history. And I'm just... I'm just humbled by the response and I'm just grateful that I could be the space the book came through, to be perfectly honest. It really touched my heart too, Matt, reading it and, and mm -hmm. the depth of the personal story that you share and, and how that leads into the, the teachings that we can all apply. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, the, the first hit I got when I just opened the book and read mm -hmm. your introduction was this is, I'm, I'm seeing um, a much more mature, integrated version of Matt. So what you were just saying really made sense. Um, aside from the process of writing the book, I know you've gone through a lot in the last couple of years. Yes. 
Um, can you can you maybe just share a little bit about how that's influenced your maturing as a human being and as a as a teacher and healer? Yes. Well, yes, and and I'm glad. It just always makes me smile when those things are noticed, just because it's a journey I'm on, and I'm and I'm and I'm always on my own journey. And and for me, one of the benefits of being on a journey is that you know the work I do for the world isn't a replacement for my my work as a human being, and that the deeper my work goes within myself the more it amplifies the richness of my offering for everyone I'm, I'm, I'm serving. So, you know, really my, my dedication to my journey is really my commitment to the service of the world. And, you know, over the last couple of years, so I was, if we go back three or four years, I can't even tell you which year, because, you know, time for me is kind of a blur. But if we go back four years before the lockdown or just before the lockdown, I was on tour, traveling around, flying all over the place, doing tours and trying to pace myself. But I, I felt like it was catching up to me. And I started to get really, really exhausted. And I thought that I had just had a you know large amount of exhaustion. And what happened was, it was a month before COVID became a thing. And I believe in my heart, I had COVID. And because I, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm sick, I you know, I'm usually like three days and I'm fine. And this was like 30 days. And it was 30 days that came with a certain gravity of intensity. It's a really strange thing. Um, and so I was in this 30 day period of like really just healing and then being off the road gave me a chance to kind of catch up with life. You know, it had been a few years before, you know, both my parents had passed and it gave me a chance to process that. I came out of a relationship that I thought was going to be the relationship of all relationships. And we, we, we both healed tremendously uh, in the relationship. Um, but it wasn't meant to be that. It, it just—it was a time in my life where it gave me a chance to really just catch up, because my life had been in this kind of a whirlwind of serving, going on stage, flying home, flying over here, and so it gave me a chance to stop things. And when I did, there was just a deeper invitation of healing that came up as a combination of these three factors, um, and it was an opportunity in my life where I got to, like people talk about life review in heaven, where you go to heaven and you see your life back on big screens. And I actually went through that over the last couple of years in my body. And I actually re-experienced every age of my life. I ex re-experienced every theme of my journey. I re-experienced every emotion and thought I've ever had. And I went through this deep purging where it literally felt like any old version of myself that had brought me to this point that was no longer necessary was like burnt out of me, was transmuted out of me. And so for me, I went on an incredible vision quest. I healed a broken heart. I helped heal the wounds of grief from losing my parents because it was just their time to go. And I still communicate with them, but, but they're still missing them. I healed my body of an incredible exhaustion that was uh, an early COVID case. And it gave me a chance to really kind of just go deep into myself. And what I found was in going through this kind of rebirth, I found that it helped me renew my commitment to my work. And what really became very clear for me is although I work as an intuitive healer and I serve a lot of people's journeys and I've helped a lot of people heal, what makes sense for me is that I want to rededicate my my career and all the time I work with people that I want to help awaken the inner healer and other people. I just don't want I don't want to just be a healer that people go to and then they feel better. That's wonderful. 
but I want to activate the power of healing in every human being. I want every human being to know they have the power to heal themselves, how to become that powerful. And more importantly, I want to leave this planet one day with more healers than when I found it. And so it just became very important for me to see how the world was changing. And I want to make sure that the way in which I transmit my message is about equality, not hierarchy. It's not me as a teacher above anyone. It's just me using my abilities to help people become the most empowered version of themselves. And what better way could a healer empower people than to help them activate the power of their own inner healing ability? And, and that's where I found renewed passion. And I found, I rediscovered a purpose at a much deeper level. And it just touched me that if I have the ability to help people heal, I want that ability to live inside people forever. I don't want it to be dependent on me. I want it to be something that people have that changes their life, that enriches the lives of everyone around them. And I want every human being to know the level of power and connection that I've been so blessed to have. And so this has become my new drive and focus. Wonderful. Now, I just want to let our, our live audience know, um, please submit your questions for Matt into the comments or the chat on YouTube there. And we're going to sprinkle those in as we go along through our two-hour session today. Uh, so please put those in. We're going to get to as many of those as we can throughout, throughout our time together. Now, Matt, the, the book is called All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. And, yes. you know, this term holding space in spiritual <laughs> and healing circles, we yeah. hear it so much. I'm just wondering, f for you, how do you define it? How, sh how should we understand it in the context that you're working, this term holding space for ourselves, for others? How do you define it? Well, I think if I, if I, if I answered that question by giving everyone watching an experience so we can experience it together. You know, so as we sit here together, and by the way, for everyone that's here, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking a bold step in the direction of your healing journey. And thank you for being willing to say yes to awakening the power of your inner healer. Because each and every one of us are powerful, but we possess only a power to help instead of hurt. And the reason we know that is because we are those that have been hurt and we're conscious of our wounds and our hurt, and we are only here to help. And some of us that are so emotionally sensitive, we can be afraid of our power. And so maybe one of the intentions of today is to help us make peace with our power so that we can accept it, receive it, and remind our body that it has the power to help ourselves heal and that we have the greater power to help others around us. And that even though we have a fear that we're going to hurt others, it's only because we're still carrying the hurt from our past within ourselves. And so what holding space, if we feel into our bodies right now, holding space is about being mindfully present, whether with you or someone else. Holding space is not just the awareness that you are a person. And whether you know you're a person or whether you know that spirit, divinity, is masquerading as the person you appear to be. Holding space is about acknowledging that you are a person on a healing journey. A person who has healed, a person who will continue to heal. A person who has healed wounds, and a person whose wounds are in the process of being resolved. 
And we also acknowledge that there are people who are on healing journeys at various levels of completion or exploration. There are some people that don't even know they're on a healing journey, yet, and yet that process is unfolding on their behalf. And so holding space is really the awareness that instead of us just being separate characters who are all trying to figure out how to get each other to meet our needs and how we can be all things to all people while hoping all people will be all things to us, instead we meet as individuals' expression of divinity. And we say, for better or for worse, we're all doing the best we can and that any time any of us are acting out of character, it's because we're acting from the traumas and wounds that are in the process of being healed. And holding space is really about how can I bring my deepest level of compassion? Because the compassion I practice in the presence of another person is equally compassion that is healing my wounds at an accelerated rate. And how can I help cultivate compassion by being more compassionate and tolerant of other people who might be acting out from pain, neglect, abandonment, wounds, and traumas. Of course, never giving more energy than we can share for our own self-worth, our own self, you know, our own self-healing journey, and even for our own self-nurturing. But if we do have energy to share with other people, how can we meet people in a space of equality that says, I'm different and you're different? We're healing things differently, but the wounds we're healing are universal. And how can we not just be as people trying to have each other meet our needs, but how can we meet in the acknowledgement that we are all souls entering various stages of expansion by the healing we go through while masquerading as people? How can we acknowledge people's healings? How can we depersonalize when people lash out or shut down as a result of traumas or neglect? or feeling unsafe in their body? How do we deal with people who may act in a way that is trying to create a sabotage pattern just so their mind can say, see, you knew you'd be rejected. How do we feel all of the nuances that occur on a healing journey while interacting with human beings? And how do we do it in a way that actually deepens our healing journey while we interact with people and not pausing our healing journeys by causing us to act from a place of anger, reactivity, or unconsciousness? How can we heal ourselves and connect with others and learn to advocate for ourselves and not be emotional doormats for people that don't know how to face their wounds directly? How do we learn how to hold space? How do we learn how to embody our consciousness through our words and actions? How do we actually become evolving spiritual masters? And how do we learn to use the power of our words to give people either the presence or the space they require in order to find themselves just as we continually find ourselves as we interact from a space of love and unity and peace. And so holding space is where we bring consciousness into our everyday encounters. And we realize that the nourishment and fulfillment that we receive from these encounters is based on how we show up not necessarily based on how anyone either responds, overlooks, or even ignores any of our offerings. And so the beauty of holding space is it's the antidote to codependency. Instead of saying my experience is dependent on how other people treat me in return, instead we realize my fulfillment and my sustenance and my healing is dependent upon how I interact with others. That puts me in such a space of sovereignty that however people do and don't respond to me, 
doesn't actually have to be perceived as a wound, a neglect, an abandonment, or attack, because we are so aware of the fact that people's behavior and response is reflective of where they're at in their journey, and the only reflection of our journey is how we show up in any given moment. And so holding space is really a new horizon, a new chapter, a new exciting opportunity for human beings to bring consciousness into everyday interactions for the purpose of deepening our healing journey to help the world evolve and further the ascension of Earth. So that's how I would describe holding space in a nutshell. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Now, before I get to one or two audience questions, I, I think this is a good time for, for this question I wanted to ask you. Um, it, one of the things I really appreciate in the book is you point to the maturity of being able to hold space for oneself and another when there's a difference of opinion or point of view, or, or right. there's what you call there's no common ground and, and to be okay with that. Yeah. And I'll just share a little quote you write. It's okay that others aren't able to receive what I'm able to give. It helps me notice the difference in our experiences. Hmm. We don't actually need to find common ground. All that is required is for me to be open. And I, I wanted to ask you, because this kind of respect uh, mm -hmm. and honoring of one another is so desperately needed these days. Right. Can you just help us understand more the nuances of this point and how holding space for our own perspective alongside a very different perspective can be mm -hmm. practiced? Well, I think, and it's interesting what, the way you phrased it, and I love, I love how you just said that. I think the key thing to remember is when we are embodying our soul in consciousness, respect is not a choice. Respect is the only way we interact with people. So I think what happens in the world is that we live in a world where it's socially acceptable for people to be disrespectful and not accountable for their behavior. And it's up to each individual to decide the code of their conduct. From my perspective, if and when there is a feeling of disrespect or a tendency to act in a disrespectful way, that would be a sign that like, I must be depleted of energy. Have I gotten enough rest? What do I need to do right now to really care for my needs? So from, my, from the space holding perspective, a lack of respect is not what someone else's actions deserved because of how they treated me, right? As a world, what's interesting is that we still in some ways, you know, even as adults, we still use eight, eight year old, like <laughs> responses. Like if, if an adult acts disrespectfully and someone says, why did you do that? They said, they, they did it first. Right. Like we did that when we were eight, you know, but the world is still where it is and that's totally fine. But I think if we're going to look at this from a mature conscious standpoint, if for any reason you are in a place where your respect is waning or you're unable to respond to someone respectfully, okay, so that means we are depleted of energy, we have to recharge, and our level of exhaustion was overlooked, and now exhaustion becomes resentment as the next sign of our own depletion. Or it's a sign that the people, person I'm interacting with is just, it's an interaction that doesn't always bring the best out of me if it's a reoccurring thing. So it could be one of two messages, but what we have to establish is that respect is the natural state of the soul. And when we are not in a respectful place, we have to look at it from three perspectives. Where are my buttons pushed? 
have I given too much energy and not created boundaries? Or is this someone that brings out the worst in me instead of someone who's helping me cultivate the best of me? And whatever the answer is going to be, a lack of respect in our response isn't going to cause us to judge ourselves, which is typically what people do, which is why people have a problem taking accountability for their actions because their history is always one of, this is when I felt the most judged and uh, worthy of punishment and all these other things. But when we start to realize, okay, I'm, I'm acting from a lacking space of respect. What's the message? What do I need? And how can I support myself through the beauty of self-care? And I think it's very important and it's very easy to overlook this because if you're living in a world where people are acting disrespectful and unmindful on a regular basis, it starts to give the feeling like this is okay. But as spiritual beings, we have to establish our own code of conduct. That respect is how we help other people heal. And if we're helping other people heal, we're helping ourselves heal. And that we have the opportunity and choice to not be respectful. But when you're not respectful, the healing benefits and opportunities are paused instead of advanced. So I think it's very important to be able to say, I hold myself accountable to leading with a relative level of respect for every human being. We don't have to agree. We don't have to be on the same side. And if I find myself acting from a space of disrespect, I can stop and turn towards myself and ask, what do I really need right now? Instead of getting lost in this perpetual, you know, um, game of separation and competition and one-upsmanship and all these kinds of things. Um, and just to kind of touch on what I said in that thing, you know, we talked about not needing to find common ground. What I like to do, what I think is so powerful is I like to really honor people's passion. So if someone's passionate about something and I happen to have a different standpoint on the issue, I can say to them, I appreciate you sharing your passion with me without having to say, by the way, I'm someone with a differing point of view or I vote differently on this issue. Like we, we can, we can be transparent enough in our ego to say, this person is obviously very passionate about this standpoint. I could say, I don't agree, but what if I took the time to honor their passion and say, my choice would be to uplift them as a person and to honor what works for them. Why go into a place of opposition? Why go into a place of conflict? Why should anyone be in a place to explain themselves? Why not just say, Hey, I really am. I really love that you're passionate about this. And the fact that you're sharing your passion with me, gets, gives me a chance to see you so lit up. Even if the thing you're passionate about isn't what I'm passionate about. Like, I'm not sure when and how we forgot what it's like to support other people's journeys when their journeys are unlike ours. And so I think we're all just coming back to some very fundamental oversights and getting back to some very simple truths and principles, which is acting with respect is not something we give to people who earn it. We lead with respect because it's how we continue to be aligned in spirit. And when we act with respect, other people heal, we heal at an accelerated rate, and we can honor what people are fans of and passionate about. And it doesn't have to involve 
the differences of how our passions might be different. Does, it, does that make sense? Absolutely. It, it really r- reminds me, I think you're touching on a lot of the points from, I think it's chapter two, which mm. focuses on the attribute of validation. Yes. But I wanted to ask, because you talk about the difference between validating and placating. Yes. We're just agreeable. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, great. It's funny because I, I forgot half the book and then you bring it up like, oh yeah, that <laughs> Um, You know, so placating is when we just agree with people. Like if someone said to you, I voted this way on this issue and you went, oh yeah, totally. But that wasn't your truth, right? So the idea is that placating is when you pretend that someone else's belief matches yours. Validation is when you're choosing to focus on what is meaningful for them and it doesn't necessarily always involve also stating what's meaningful for you unless, I mean, a lot of people do this in conversation, right? Like you say, Ross, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of this, right? Like I'm a fan of like, oh, I don't know. Van Halen. Van Halen, let's say. Okay, good. Thank you. Van Halen, right? And let's say in my heart of hearts, I think Pearl Jam is better than Van Halen. Let's just, right? I say to you, and so so placating would be if you said, I like Van Halen, and I go, oh, totally. And you're like, no, Matt, like if there's one band I would listen to forever on an island, it would be Van Halen. I'm like, me too. That may not be true. So it's placating, right? That's me wanting to agree with you to make sure that I'm all things to use to avoid rejection and maximize validation. So it's it's a people pleaser mechanism. But if I were to validate you, I'd say, you know, you know, Ross, I'm so glad to know that you love Van Halen. And the next time I get to hear a Van Halen song, I know somewhere in the world you're, you're smiling and you're laughing. And so I don't need to say, by the way, I love that you love Van Halen. And just for the record, I think they're inferior to Pearl Jam. <laughs> and secretly, anyone that listens to Van Halen, I think, must be of a lower vibration if you're not on the Pearl Jam train. And just so you know, Ross, I will pray for your soul that you finally find some good music sense while you silently listen to the inferiority of Van. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't. I can just like support you. And if you happen to say, and Matt, is Van Halen your favorite band? And I would say, as a matter of fact, they're not. I like Pearl Jam, which, by the way, is not my favorite band. This is just hypothetical. But I'm so glad to know that you're so passionate about that band. And so I can state my my side. Another part of communication is I, I typically only offer my side of things when people ask. So if you said to me in conversation, and I, and I, I do this because I find it to be the most conscious way to communicate. I find so if I said to you, hey, tell me about your favorite band, Van Halen. Oh my God. And I said, Ross, I love hearing about this. I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more of a fan of Van Halen, just listening to you. And um, I love that you're passionate about it. If you never ask me my favorite band, that's okay. Because in private, I'm I'm all the things I need for myself. So when I'm interacting with you or anyone else, it's extra. And I don't need someone to ask me back the same questions I ask them because literally for me, an interaction is I get to know them. They get to know me. Maybe I'm more interested in knowing them than they're knowing me. Maybe they only want to talk about certain issues. No problem. I'm just there to enjoy people and I'm there to enjoy people for as long as I have the energy to share. And I think what makes interactions hard is when we're not a source of love for ourselves 
And when we have expectations of, I need someone else to be as interested in me as I'm interested in them. Well, that's not real interest. That's a negotiation. I'm not interested in human beings because they're interested in me. And to be honest, most people I meet are very fascinated with me, which is a blessing. But I'm actually interested in just getting to know people and whether they get to know me back or not is inconsequential. And that's a level of detachment that we actually find as a operating system in consciousness once we have been all the love that we need. And it's hard because a lot of people will feel if I'm all the love that I need, oh, then I'm, the universe is not going to bring me people. I'll probably be alone. But the truth is, once we get whole in ourselves, we actually show up in interactions whole, complete, and in the most optimal place to get to know people. Because when we show interest in them, they feel safer in their body. And as they feel safer in their body, they can open up and get to know us in whatever way makes sense. And the beauty of interacting this way is that you can feel like you're taking such more of an interest in someone that they're taking in you. But you walk away actually fueled by how present you were with them and not exhausted by the lack of presence they share with you, which is reflective of the lack of presence they have within themselves. And so this is how we actually transform people without exhausting ourselves along the way. Awesome. And oh, by the way, Halen. I'll just say, I, I, Van Halen's all right, but they're not my favorite band. Oh, I don't know why that came up. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I mean, thank God, right? I mean, can we all just, as people, can we just have a little moment? Thank God, right? Van Halen, good. 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 They're good. They're good. They're good. <laughs> okay, so we've got some nice audience questions flowing in it. here. Um, okay, here we go. Yeah, This is from B, whose tag is Nourish Love Create, who Love says, it. Hi, Matt. Have been dealing with a heartbreak slash breakup since April. Mm. I still don't understand what happened or why. He seems to have gotten over it. We remain friendly now, but I'm still confused, hurt. I'd like another chance and to be happy again. So wondering what you would add, please. I also went to see you in Omega this summer. Oh. This summer. Yeah. So sweet, B. Well, thank you, B. And we're all here with you. I'm so sorry that this relationship didn't go as far as you wanted to go. I know firsthand what it's like to be in relationships where we envision a much longer runway than life gives us. And it's, it's tragic, it's hurtful, it's painful, and I don't want us to minimize that. You know, so often a teacher in my position or a healer in my position is trying to get people to reframe their experiences to change how they feel. And what I would say, just in the most mature space-holding reflection, is that it's important to savor our pain and that sometimes we want to get over the heartbreak because we have a belief that says, as long as my heart is broken, I'm spending time missing out on the love I wish I was having with the person who didn't want it with me the way I wanted it to them. So I think it's important to be aware of, and it's okay that we feel this way, that primarily sometimes we're trying to heal faster than our body is ready to because we think the faster I heal, the more time I have to be open and have the love with the person that will love me they want, the way I wanted to be loved. 
But what's really important is that we look at our wounds and our healing as sacred. And we realize one fundamental thing, and this is something I picked up energetically when Ross was asking the question, and that is what, what pauses our healing and does not help us on any level is wondering why it happened. Why did it end? Often the question of why is just the question that keeps us locked into ego consciousness, which is not a bad thing, but it prohibits us to heal in the most miraculous way possible. So what if we said this out loud like a repeat after me and we can all do it together? The question of why cannot be answered. Even if I knew why, there'd Even be five more there'd be five more whys behind it. There'd be five more whys behind it. The truth is why. The truth is why. Is how I pause the healing of grief. Is how I pause the healing of grief. Because there's a part of me that doesn't want to heal the grief. Because there's a part of me that doesn't want to heal the grief. When I'm still holding out for the person. When I'm still holding out for the person that has already moved on. That has already moved on. The question of why. The question of why. Is a stage of grief. Is a stage of grief. Known as bartering. Known as bartering. Like a mental negotiation. Like a mental negotiation. Why did it happen? Why did it happen? What was my part? What was my part? If I was different or, or if they were different. If I was different or if they were different. Could we have had a longer relationship? Could we have had a longer relationship? What do I have to fix about me? What do I have to fix about me? To make sure it doesn't happen again. To make sure it doesn't happen again. And all these questions of negotiation. And all these questions of negotiation. Seems like they're the doors. Seems like they're the doors. That lead to the deepest relief. That lead to the deepest relief. But they're only doors with more doors behind them. But they're only doors with more doors behind them. And instead, I take the most radical path. And instead, I take the most radical path. And I say, I accept. And I say, I accept. The one that wants to know why. The one that wants to know why. That will never be satisfied by why. That will never be satisfied by why. The one that is devastated. The one that is devastated. Wants to be loved. Wants to be loved. Wishes they could move on. Wishes they could move on. But it's not just where they're at. But it's not just where they're at. I accept that one in me. I accept that one in me. Is only here to be loved. Is only here to be loved. I'm not here to change how they feel. I'm not here to change how they feel. I'm here to validate and honor how they feel. I'm here to validate and honor how they feel. And say to that part of me. And say to that part of me. I know you want them. I know you want them. I know you weren't ready to let them go. I know you weren't ready to let them go. I honor your grief. I honor your grief. And I offer you love. And I offer you love. Just as you are just as you are may i be the most loving space may i be the most loving space for all your feelings to be for all your feelings to be and you can want to heal faster than you than you'll heal 
And you can want to heal faster than you'll heal. And I'm just going to love you as you are. And I'm just going to love you as you are. Loving the one that is processing. Loving the one that is processing. Instead of identifying with the process. Instead of identifying with the process. Allowing this grief to be loved. Allowing this grief to be loved. Without pretending to love how it feels to grieve. Without pretending to love how it feels to grieve. And so it is. And so it is. Mm. I think for all of us, all of us carry a certain amount of grief in different ways. And I think that repeat after me was helpful for all of us. And I want to thank B for inspiring that repeat after me that although it was an entry point into a very specific process of negotiation that we shed the light of awareness on, but at the same time gave us a chance to all heal grief in our heart. And I can feel in the hearts and in the sacral chakra of everyone in the call, I can feel a warmth in the gut, a softness in the heart, which means that this moment of healing has really touched all of us at the same time, which is a remarkable blessing. So thank you. Thank you, Matt. That was really, yeah, I can feel that too. Yeah. It was good. Absolutely. And thank you, B. There's there's a question here which I'm is from Kara, and I'm really glad because this was something it, it's not the same question. I wanted to ask you about the section. Every chapter, just for folks who haven't seen the book yet, has this section. Um, uh, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> yeah, with practicing this this specific attribute uh, in the world. And uh, Kara's question is different than mine, but I think it's a it's one that could lead into a lot of different insights. So. Carla yeah. says, I struggled with your, repre- your repeated phrase of what could go wrong in this book. Yeah. Could you share why you use that versus what could go right? I'm curious. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, the book wrote itself through me. You know, I've never wrote a section called what could possibly go wrong. But the reason I think it was written through me like that, and thanks for asking, by the way, is because what I think holds a lot of people back is a certain density of spiritual superstition. Like, for example, there are people that will talk to me at events and they'll say, I think, and they'll stop themselves. They go, no, I shouldn't say I think, I should say I feel. And I stop them, I go, I'm so sorry. Please don't abuse yourself in my presence. If you say you're thinking, you say you're thinking, and it doesn't mean you're in your mind versus your heart. Like for me to say what could possibly go wrong is because most human beings will embrace a teaching that will attach an expectation on this is going to give me X, Y, and Z. And if it doesn't, I'm abandoning it. And what I wanted to create was a book where we could be really real about expectations, really real about, hey, here's a multitude of ways people can take it either right or take it in a way that is only matching the narrative of their pain. And I think it's important to know that what we do that really brings meaning to us could also trigger another human being. And so I felt like when I wrote this book, I was writing a book for the purposes of when and how you apply it to real world scenarios. And I feel like the book itself is an entire book called What Can Go Right? But I also think it's important to say, hey, also, what could go awry so that if that happens, 
you already have a sense of what you can do in the heat of that moment. Because the reason I wrote this book is for so many years, I do retreats and I'd lead these big retreats and people would have these incredibly sacred moments. And they'd say, now I'm going to go back to my life where no one lives like this. What do I do? Or I tried what you said and here was the reaction they got. And so I thought I would love for people to have almost like a manual where it's like, as you practice this attribute, here's also what could happen. Here's how someone can twist your words. Here's how, how, how it can be misunderstood. And if you have an awareness, you can remain relaxed. You can stay open. You can stay curious. And then you can stay in connection with the person, even if they're going through um, a series of triggers. Um, but but I, I think in the name of unraveling spiritual superstition, which is still very much prevalent in, in, in our communities is, I don't know, it just, it just felt really authentic for me to say, what could possibly go wrong? And I think that when people are reading books or reading material, they often think about that, like, oh my God, I hope this doesn't happen. And I just thought, what if we actually spoke to that? And it just felt like a way of opening the field into a greater level of authenticity, you know? And I just, I don't know, when it came up with it, it, it came to me, I just, it really inspired me. And I thought, yeah, what could go wrong? And then I would think about it, like, what could go wrong with this? And how do we actually not get triggered by it? How do we see it for what it is? And how do we use it as an opportunity for deeper connection with ourselves and with others? Because these things are going to happen. They happen every day. And we either use it as a way of connecting, or we use it as a way of projecting, or we use it as a way of correcting, or disconnecting. And if I can provide a way for people to have the greatest opportunity to connect and to create bonds of connection, even when patterns of disconnection are active, that gives all of us an opportunity to deepen the way we communicate with ourselves and others at this most fertile time in history. So I, I think there's a couple of reasons why I did that, but um, it was it was one of the things I one of the, uh, one of the things I came up with for my book that I just thought, oh my god, I love that, and I felt like I was just speaking to something real in the mentality of interaction without trying to make it like a spiritual thing. Like we only talk about spiritual things. We don't ask hard questions. We, we keep it all high vibe. And that's the kind of mentality I want to unravel. And I want the spiritual path to be real because all of this magic, all of this healing, all of the angels and the guides and everything that I've experienced in my life, empathic healing, it's real. And I want everyone to experience it as real. And it's equally as real as the wounds we carry. And it's equally as real as every human being has a right to not, to be or not be aligned as, as they choose to be. And how do we bring the reality of spirituality into our lives and in a way where it's authentic and not superstitious? How do we get out of this I'm going to float on my high vibe cloud while the rest of the world suffers. And how do we walk hand in hand as a global community without as sensitive beings taking on the energy of others? How do we do that? And I think exploring what could possibly go wrong with any of the attributes of the book, I just, for me, felt like a beautiful step in a very authentic direction.
Thank you. Yeah, I yeah, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I loved it too. I I understand your question, Cara, for sure. I think you know some people might struggle with that. I I personally also found it really helpful that you came at it from that angle. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's something I wanted to touch on uh, yeah. chapter three, which is titled "You Can't Rush." what has been buried for so long. Yeah. And that focuses on the attribute of reverence. Yes. And the supportive statement of reverence, which I just noticed you using something similar um, for B's <laughs> question about the relationship and the struggle. Yeah. The supportive statement is, I am here with you. Right. There's a quote from the book, if I can share it and then sure. ask a question. Okay, so this is what Matt says. Through the attribute of reverence, you may realize one profound truth. I love this line here. Mm. No one actually needs different circumstances. Mm. They only need greater support for the experiences they're having. That's right. Life often gets so out of balance that unless you are rescuing yourself or others from difficulty, it's easy to imagine you must be a contributor to the suffering all around you. Just as when children feel the growing pains that mark the transition from childhood to adolescence, there's nothing you can do to interrupt the process, but to decide how much love you are capable of giving. I love the, the parent-child analogy because, you know, mm. this, this spiritual and healing journey it is really a journey of reparenting ourselves. Yes. I'm, 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 my question is kind of like... Um, coming from the doubting skeptical mind in the hopes that we can look at some of the nuances around this. Yeah. And the question is, how do we discern when it's, when it's appropriate to actually do something on a practical level to help yeah. someone not rescuing, but helping versus mm -hmm. when it's appropriate to step back and allow them the space to go through a painful process. Well, I, th I think that that's a great, that's a really great question. I, I think that, what we have to do is we have to really be clear on a few different things. And that is, am I clear on the fact <clears throat> that I'm supporting someone through an experience versus trying to change the way they feel? And I think it's important to be aware of that because sometimes what happens as empaths is we can feel people's emotions sometimes even deeper than they can. And oftentimes you will want to help people out of pain. That's the top topical layer we want of course we want to help people out of pain because we're compassionate people and we want people to feel good and not you know stew in turmoil of course and sometimes we can want people to be out of pain because we want to have a better experience around them and so we have to be very clear on my role in helping someone heal is actually offering them companion and and support for what they're going through now, if they are doing something in their healing protocol and they haven't thought of a certain modality and it comes to your mind to share, you could always frame it as a question like, hey, I know you're doing all these things to help yourself heal. This thing popped up in mind. You may want to research it. And you just leave it to someone else's devices to either research it or if they say, oh, let me write that down. Or if they say, oh, I'll check it out, but they don't write it down. They're probably not going to remember, but that's okay because we we're just there to plant a seed. So I think the first thing is we get very clear that we don't have the power to change people's experiences. We have the potential to support people through the experiences they're having. And if we all remember back in childhood, and if we think back to any kind of moment in our lives where there was a lot of change and uncertainty, 
And sometimes we have moments where we don't feel like we were supported in the best way. But if all of us right now could think about a memory, think about a time in your life when you were younger and there was an unexpected amount of change, but you had some form of support. Or like remembering back when you and your partner first bought your new house and furniture couldn't be delivered for three days and we sat in our living room on the floor eating pizza and we had nothing and they were sometimes the best of times. What I think, especially with children, parents often don't want to displace children by interrupting environments. And of course, we want children to have consistent environments of love internally and externally. But I think what is the most important thing to remember is that what people tend to remember is when they are supported and encouraged, they will remember the support and the encouragement more than they will the circumstance. So when we in our minds are very clear that I'm going to be here with this person for as long as I can be here, I'm not going to rescue them or trying to change their experience. I'm just going to hold their hand and tell them how strong they are, how proud I am of them that they're going through this, and that I'm here to be with you throughout this journey. And what happens is, is that we have the opportunity um, we have the opportunity to change the way people will remember this moment. And we have a chance for people to say, that wasn't the most pleasant experience in my mind, but I remember the support more than the challenge. And isn't that the greatest, greatest opportunity for all of us? And wouldn't that be the greatest blessing is to look back at your life and say, every challenge also had an insight of expansion and a moment of connection and companionship that helped me feel most supported even when life was, you know, going to hell or whatever how we would, we would say it. But that the opportunity is we have to be honest with ourselves and say, I accept the fact that I want to rescue people and change their experiences so I can feel better around them. Just say it out loud once, own it, honor it. It's all good. It's not unnormal to feel that way, but just be aware of it and say, no matter how much I wish other people could feel better faster, and no matter how much I wish I could feel better around them, I'm only here to be their companion. I will be with them as a companion for as long as I can be. And if I get to a place where it's challenging me, or I get to a place where I want to rescue them, or I want to speed this up, that might be the perfect time for me to leave and have some space because all people need are companions. If something comes up to suggest to them, say, hey, I have something to offer you. Can I suggest an idea? And if they say, no, thank you. Okay, no, thank you. But how can we be genuinely aware that what actually transforms the circumstances of people is not who makes pain go away, but who proves to people that pain is not a barrier to intimacy. And in a moment where pain is not a barrier to intimacy, and in a moment where intimacy is able to connect two hearts as one, despite the presence of pain, is the moment that transformation enters the moment for each of us and for our mutual benefit. That's powerful.
That is powerful, Matt. It's really powerful. And and this this idea of companionship, it just makes me think of what, you know, real sort of community looks like, supportive community. And it, it leads really nicely into a question here from yeah. Madhurya. Mm. Madhurya says, I still struggle with taking conscious action, especially in regards to reaching out and building relationships with high caliber conscious people, equals. Mm. How can I put myself forward more? Well, that's interesting. That's really, really interesting. Well, here's what I, here's what I've noticed in my life, and and I know this happening in a lot of our lives. Hmm. Sometimes the universe, because everything is one. So why is the divine dressing up as people who don't seem to be as aligned in spiritual conversations as we would hope to be? And I think what happens, and I've noticed this in my own life because I'd have interactions with people in my life. And after certain interactions, I would ask myself a funny question, just because I'd always want to grow and evolve. And sometimes you process things afterwards. And I meet people at family functions, I meet people on planes. And you know, not every person knows me as the, you know, the one and only Matt Con. you know, which, which I'm honored to have that in the world as, as a reflection of, of the service I offer. But I don't require me to always be that guy, right? So I'm meeting people, from all walks of life. I'm not mean people that want to have spiritual conversations, but historically when I was, you know, let's take it 15 years in the past, you know, and it wasn't a big spiritual ego, but I can be honest and say, you know, there was, because everyone's got to work through a spiritual ego. It's just the way it is. You go from ego to spiritual ego, and then you wake up. And so what I would do as part of waking up out of my spiritual ego is I'd ask myself a very funny question after certain interactions and I ask myself the question, all right, when did it get weird? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, it got weird when I was trying to steer a conversation in the direction of spiritual topics. And here's why I would do that when I was younger. I would do that because spirituality was where I found my greatest amount of success. It was also where my ego felt the most comfortable they were the subjects I was the most passionate about, but it was where I found myself having the most amount of success and accomplishment. And so I thought leading with spiritual conversations put me in the greatest, most lovable place to be accepted by someone instead of rejected. And what I didn't realize, and I quickly realized this, is that when I was using spiritual topics as like an extension of my ego, if they weren't into that conversation topic 15 years ago, I took that as them rejecting me. Or I would go, oh, they're just not ready, or some casually arrogant thing that I would never say, but I would think. Like, oh, they're just not ready. Like, as if the only thing spiritual people talk about is chakras and light bodies. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's such a subtly arrogant, oh, they're just not ready to be obsessed about spiritual concepts yet. <laughs> and like, I started waking up out of my own BS, to be honest. And what I realized was, is that what the universe was trying to do, and this is answering the question in a very indirect, in a roundabout way. Um, I realized that the most universal language of consciousness is the language of emotions. And that my spiritual path was my nourishment. But when I'm with other human beings, 
I'm there to talk a language we can all understand. Now, if I meet a human being and they say namaste and I say namaste, okay. Talking, talking about, uh, you know, chakras may not be that big of a stretch or like, Hey, where the heck can I guy get some sage around here? You know what I mean? <laughs> it might be appropriate, but if I'm on an airplane, just talking to someone, I'm going to, I'm going to say, how is your day? What's going on? What are you passionate about? I'm going to speak a language that is universal. Emotions is not only the language of consciousness. Emotions can also be the language of unconsciousness. So if I want to bring consciousness to the planet, I'm not going to hide it behind spiritual phrases or ideologies. I'm going to speak the very language people use to use feelings against themselves and other people. So what I found is that, and I'm just using the language from the question, high caliber people are people who act and embody their ethics. So all I care about is being the most ethical person spending time around people at varying levels of ethical sustainability, let's say. That's a nice way to say it, right? And what I notice for me in my personal life is that the people that I'm drawn to connect the deepest with are the people who not only teach me deeper ways to love myself, but are also people that on some level I want to be more like, who inspire me to be an even better version of me. And I do the same thing for them. So I think that what we really do in this, in this, because we can hold space for people's healings, but it doesn't mean you have to be best friends with every human being. So I think the interesting thing is the people we spend the most intimate time with are those people we want to be more like. And when we talk about being around people of like mind, can we maybe not make it about people that talk about this stuff, but people who are able to be self-aware, self-reflective, if they act out of character, they can become aware of it and say, you know, that wasn't my highest self. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Or if you point it out to them, they say, you know, that totally was true. I'm so sorry. Right? Can we be with people that are aware, that are open-minded? That when you say, hey, here's how I feel, they go, oh my God, I didn't know, but your feelings are as important to me as mine are. So I think the real thing we're all looking for is to be around people of ethical value. And the way we attract those people is making sure that we are living from our highest ethical value to always send out the right message of what we are asking the universe. Hey, here's how I want to be met. Here's how I want to be met. And make sure that the people you spend the most intimate time with are people that are bringing out your best and people that are even challenging you to an even higher level of mastery as you do that for them. And I think that for me feels like the right aspiration. And then of course, until those people show up, how can I be the source of my own ethical value? And how can I talk to myself in private in the way that other people soon will treat me as I attract those people of ethical value, which doesn't necessarily depend on or mean that it has to be people talking about spiritual concepts, but just people who want to make a meaningful contribution in the lives of others and the world. That's thank what I think about that. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for that question. I think it was Cara. Thank um, you, Cara. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, 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 that's, that's really what you said is so on point. And I used to think, you know, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta hang out pe with people that appear super spiritual. Mm -hmm. And, and then you kind of, I realized, oh no, it's actually what I'm after is people that are stable, um, yeah, ethical and like yeah. said, making a contribution, just generally genuine good people. 
And also, if we can add this, Ross, I'm just looking at one of the uh, ch in the chat. Someone says, and I'd love to address this really quick. And I love this. He said, it, the, Joe, J-O says, I don't know how to love myself. Mm. And I just, just as I saw this, jumped in real quick. And then we can kind of go back a second. Yes, Maybe yeah. if you can help me with a repeat after me, we can all do this together. I'd love to. Okay, try this out loud. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. As I don't know how to love myself. As I don't know how to love myself. There is only the fact. There is only the fact. That there's a version of me. That there's a version of me. Begging to be loved. Begging to be loved. But is also afraid to let it in wrong. But is also afraid to let it in wrong. Not know how to let it in. Not know how to let it in. And assumes anything I do will be wrong. And assumes anything I do will be wrong. So the part that doesn't know how to love itself. So the part that doesn't know how to love itself. Is not the one needing to learn. Is not the one needing to learn. They are simply in line. They are simply in line. Waiting to be loved. Waiting to be loved. As only I can love them. As only I can love them. I accept that the one in me. I accept that the one in me. That doesn't know how to love myself. That doesn't know how to love myself. Is just the next part. Is just the next part. Saying love me as I am. Saying love me as I am. I don't need to feel differently. I don't need to feel differently. I just acknowledge that that feedback. I just acknowledge that that feedback. Is a part of my process. Is a part of my process. And not a problem for me to fix. And not a problem for me to fix. I don't have to teach that part how to love itself. I don't have to teach that part how to love itself. I just hold it. I just hold it. Whether my hands on my heart. Whether my hands on my heart. Or visualizing a child in my body. Or visualizing a child in my body. And I say to that part. And I say to that part. I don't need you to learn how to love yourself. I don't need you to learn how to love yourself. I'm just loving you as you are. I'm just loving you as you are. Yes, feel that. It was cool. I actually had an image in my mind of myself as a child that just came up there and, you know, cute, yeah. sweet little guy. Mm, he's sweet. Mm -hmm. And we say to that part, you don't have to learn how to love yourself. Mm. And even the question that came that we asked previously, she says, I just want to collect, I want people to collaborate with more enjoyment. Well, to answer that question, because I want to make sure I answered the question properly. Maybe I took it in a way that was more universal for the rest of the audience and not for that question, if that's the truth. Let me try again. So sorry, is if you want to collaborate with people with more enjoyment, all you have to do is, or what my suggestion is, instead of finding spiritual people, you find people who agree on a higher universal goal. So what I would ask the question, I think, is um, Madhurya. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. I would say Madhurya. I would say let's find the very social goal or the very social avenue that speaks to you the most. And for any of us, we can do this. 
Do you want to clean the oceans? Do you want to save animals? Do you want to feed starving children? Do you want to make sure that kids have proper materials to learn from in school? What is the issue that you, what is the positive change you want to bring to the world? And what I would do is I would look for people that also support those causes that you support. And when we are united in our causes, we are often going to have the greatest communication styles. We are we are we tend to complement each other's imbalances. What I find to be true, and I've just noticed this working in many spiritual communities, is that when people are united by spirituality, it becomes a community ready to be rocked by division. Because when all hell breaks loose or things get a little intense, the division of everyone's individual perception tends to kind of clash. But if what unites us is just a goal, and if we've all united people from different cultures and continents, but what we all have in common, let's say, is feeding the hungry, then when we meet together, and no matter how many different ideas we have, we say, okay, and in the name of our common goal of feeding hungry people, what is the solution that brings us to our goal in the most immediate way? And that what actually tempers the beauty of individuality is the unity of our purpose. And so I think in regards to answering her question, she wants people to collaborate with with more enjoyment. That's dependent upon meeting people who support what you support. And it doesn't always mean that we have to be spiritual or spiritually minded. We can all just have the same things in common because I think that really what creates evolutionary progress is when individuals come together to create a community effort. And so community is based on individuals who share a collective vision. So maybe let's collaborate with people who support the causes that are meaningful to you. And perhaps that's going to create the juice of enjoyment that will really spark and feed your soul and even expand the benefit of what you're here to co-create with other people. Right? Yes. All I care about, right? Like I want to feed hungry people. And in a very, I'll say this with you, Ross, we're still working on a lot of things behind the scenes. Things probably won't be ready to discuss for months, but I'm creating a shift in my entire way of presenting what I do. Not only is my focus gonna be on helping to activate the inner healer in people, I want to start doing classes and courses on how to help people strengthen their intuitions. So they can be as intuitive. I mean, like I really want to just, how can all the things that I do, I can help people how to have that for themselves. And at the same time, there's a very deliberate uh, change that's occurring behind the scenes. I can't say too much, but what I want to create in my business is when I do an in-person event, the money that is given to attend that event is going to feed these many families, clothe these many children. And that by you attending a Matt Kahn group healing event, the money you spend to be there in person. And again, we have a lot of things we're doing behind the scenes to make this official. So just giving a little sneak preview hmm. by you paying to see me in person, 
to receive the kind of groundbreaking healing that I'm here to provide you, you also, we can sit there in the first 10 minutes and I can show you a graphic and say, the money you have afforded to be here to make your healing first has also created tangible change for our world now, not later. And for me, I will tell you the last three years of my life have, have brought a lot of things into perspective. And one of the things are, I've always wanted to do high level philanthropic work. And the one thing I've realized about life is that if you want to do something, you have to do it now. And so in a very short amount of time, I will be also sharing with my entire global audience the way in which I want to unite healing work with social progress so that we are not sitting there going, we're just healing ourselves and everyone can fend for themselves. But everything we're doing for ourselves is always affecting other people because we are at a point in the world where we need to accept our differences, but be united in a higher purpose. And what my intention is, as I look forward to the day where we are at spiritual events and people are talking on the grass and connecting, instead of it being like, oh, here's what I'm working on. What are you working on? Well, here's what I hate about myself. Oh yeah, I hate that about myself too. Um, yeah, I hate that about you too. Um, instead, it can be, what is the cause that you support the most? What's the cause that you support the most? And we literally are just looking through our databases of connections that say, who can I, what can I do to bring your goal into fruition? What can you do to help me further my goal? And we're all supporting each other. That's what I am envisioning. A world where we get together and we are all talking about, here's what I support, here's what you support. How can we support each other in bringing the world into a state of wholeness? Because that's when we connect as one. We don't connect as one when the world learns spiritual stuff. We connect as one when the needs of the world is met. So people are less in victim consciousness. People are less in separation. And instead of having to fend for themselves, they can relax, they can ground, and they will naturally open to feel the inner connection that we all share together as one. You heard it here first, folks. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> You've always heard it. You, you know, I mean, this this is, I mean, it's it's a silly thing to say. Like when I was a kid, you know, when we, I, I don't know when you grew up. I grew up in the 80s, right? Yeah. I don't, you know, that's just, it makes me feel old to say that, by the way, not because it's <laughs> so far away, but because you know how when people go, I grew up in the 80s. That's when everything made sense. I feel old because I actually believe that. Like, I actually believe I was raised in a time. I believe that. So that's why I'm old. But, like, where was I going to go with that? What were we just talking about? Sorry. Well, you were talking about your vision for, for the world where it's all about us just helping each other connect to yeah. accomplish these wonderful goals. Yeah. And I just, I just, I just think that as a world, you know, we've gotten so technologically advanced and I think it's great. I think it's great. That we have technology, we have this software, we can connect. I mean, I'm not here to, I love technology, but I just think we have to get back to a simpler time, you know, a simpler time of connection and what are you supporting and how can I support you and how can we support each other and how can we really see that 
it's about our needs being met and it's about distribution and it's about there are a few people with a lot and there are a lot of people with a few and that's the entry point into global peace you know and i i, I just feel like the world as much as it's going in a very interesting technologically driven direction i think we also have to reorient to a foundation of community of connection and i think one of the most beautiful things when any of us travel if you travel to a third world country or a place you might see poverty you might see things you've never seen before but you might also see a level of family connection and community that might uh you know below your mind and so i look at the world as the largest village in the universe and it's time that we as divine space holders truly learn how to find wholeness in ourselves how to connect with wholeness with each other so that we can truly awaken this global village because there are just a lot of people who don't have what they need to think straight to choose from a place of wisdom and to give themselves the opportunities that we want each person to have so I, I, I really am just, and where I was going with that, by the way, I, I got my train of thought. When I was in the 80s, when I was growing up, here's my thought. I used to think the most powerful role in the world was to be the president. You know, and a lot of people will say, I'm not going for president or whatever. And it's, it's beautiful, but that's why, I want, that's why I'm stepping into humanitarianism, because I actually want to create tangible change. I want to create wells of clean drinking water. I want more libraries where people can read. I want communities uh, where there are things called food deserts, where literally there are communities in the world where people do not have access to fresh fruits and vegetables of any variety and everything's packaged. And for me to be someone who is furthering conscious evolution, and for me to not address the distribution distribution issue that perpetuates this unconsciousness isn't for me looking at the totality or the holistic solution so when i share all this with you you know and we're still working it out behind the scenes and trying to you know okay here's our plan and here's what we're going to do um it, it really just ignites my heart and and, and here's something i've never taught public publicly but here's what I'll say. In the very beginning of an initiation, you learn about the law of attraction. Maybe you learn how to attract some things for yourself. Maybe you take a course to study it. Maybe you make a vision board and some things manifest and some don't. Maybe it never worked for you, whatever it is. But for people that have experienced law of attraction in a positive way, here's the setup. There's a certain period of your life where you can manifest for yourself individually. And you can feel like you're at the roulette table of life. And I don't know how to play this game, but I keep winning and I keep getting handed dice. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm winning. I have stacks of coins or whatever. I'm just chips. I'm just, I'm okay. Here I am. And there's a certain point where you think, okay, I know how to manifest. And then some people experience it drying up or it's stopping or it's stalling or it kind of peaks. And here's why. Because the initiation is the universe says, we're going to give you a certain period of time where you can attract incredible things for you personally. Just to know that you have the power to co-create with the universe. That's your initiation. The highest step is to say, if I can manifest these miracles for myself, 
what would it look like if I co-created for the world? And what I'm getting ready to come out with in this world in a very short amount of time is I'm someone who co-creates on a very high level. I'm incredibly good at it. But I am someone who also knows the game. And the game is when you can manifest for yourself, there's a certain pocket of time where that is at an outrageous level of acceleration. It's done to show you how powerful you are so you can desire exploring that power for the world. And as we start co-creating for the world, that's when even higher levels of fulfillment pour into our personal lives as the universe's way of saying, thank you for acknowledging your power on the highest level it's meant to be used. And so there are even there are people who can't seem to manifest for themselves personally will find that when they start manifesting on a global level, that's what actually pours in what makes, what makes it seem like the universe is now supporting me on a very personal level. Because the universe pays each of us to learn that we're powerful co-creators. We heal our bodies so we can embody a light that heals other people. And we only learn how powerful we are as co-creators so we can start doing it for the world. And when we take our abilities, we activate them and we use them for humanity, that's when life starts to pour in all of the synchronicities and miracles that say, thank you for giving your abilities to its highest purpose. You are officially doing everything you can, so now the universe does everything it can on your behalf. And what I would love to be able to see is living in a world, and I joke about vision boards, but it's a very, very powerful process. What I would love to see is people, parents, children doing vision boards for humanity. That's what I want to see. I want to see using these abilities and let's do it for the world. And by doing it for the world, we want to be a better world. The universe indirectly brings us and gifts us with the most extraordinary miracles that reflect our own power back to us in tangible physical form. And I've never said it that directly, and I think it it's something that people are ready to hear. Vision boards for the world. Yes. I love that. Yes. Because that, that's, that's the thing is like people go, well, how, how do I manifest? Well, you learn about manifestation to remember your power. And your power as a spiritual being, the power only desires affecting your personal circumstances if you haven't had enough of experiences of knowing how powerful you are. So that's okay if you only want to manifest for yourself. That just means you don't know how powerful you are. Once you know how powerful you are, the, desire, the need to constantly manifest for yourself kind of wears off. And you start thinking bigger. If I can co-create for my individual timeline, what can I co-create for all timelines? And so I think one of the most intriguing things about limitation is that perhaps one of the reasons we don't feel powerful is because we haven't given, we haven't given ourselves permission to think big enough. And so may all the healing I offer in, in you know, all of my books, all my offerings, all my events, 
help you to awaken your own inner healer to remember how powerful you are so you can start thinking bigger in this world. Because once you start thinking bigger in this world, no amount of pain anyone is feeling is going to harm you. We have to just think bigger than the world thinks. The world often thinks like this. We have to just broaden that perspective. And all of our gifts are used for the benefit of all. And once you get into that trajectory, your healing finds itself completing itself. Your power awakens within you. And you find yourself expressing consciousness, not through the lens of an ego or spiritual ego, but from the embodiment of your integrated, awakened soul. And what's going to help this planet transform into this vibration that I'm speaking to you from is when we connect not based on our beliefs, but what are the biggest causes that we are supporting. I'll just give that one a minute. Yeah. Mm. I love it. So powerful. So powerful. Matt, I, this is this is loosely tied in. I, it, it tweaked in my mind <clears throat> a question I wanted to ask you, and it's about chapter six. Excuse me. <clears throat> chapter six, for everyone to know, is titled Diversity is the Guiding Light. <laughs> compassion yes and it focuses on the attribute of patience yes now in that chapter you tell the story of um your experience when george floyd was killed yes by, by police yes and you wanted to find a way to offer some support yeah. on your social media page you shared a quote from martin luther king jr yeah and you were met by some support but also many voices that were outraged it seems yeah that they I, i'm paraphrasing but they they sort of saw you they were labeling you as <clears throat> some privileged white spiritual yeah. teacher kind yeah. of thing who didn't and you you had an experience after that yeah it sounds profound yeah um, can i share a quote about that and then maybe you can tell us more about what it taught you okay absolutely thank you i loved this part it's just powerful and beautiful so matt says at first i thought this is what others must have experienced. He's talking about others who have suffered in different things from their, you know, not coming from a place of privilege. And then he says, right. but then an even deeper wisdom began shining through. It said, no, this is not what other races or minorities experience. This is a tiny sliver of what life is like when you walk even for a moment in the shoes of the oppressed. You're being ridiculed on social media for a few minutes. You've never felt your life threatened, had a loved one killed or been roughed up by a police officer just because your race matches a profile. Right. Your experience isn't like what other races feel or have lived through. This is you getting an empathic glimpse into a fraction of the pain that has been buried under society's skin for generations, from people shipped from their homeland to live as servants to white families and aristocrats to kids being separated from their parents at the border. And the drastic ways police enforcement differs from zip code to zip code. Meanwhile, you have the time, space, and capacity to fathom that pain without worrying about where your next meal will come from or when bullets will spray through your living room window. Yeah. Can you just tell us more about 
this realization and yeah. how it shifted things for you and how we might sort of integrate that? Sure. I mean, you know, writing that chapter and those words are, are some of my, one of my proudest moments of my entire life. You know, when I get up from every chapter, I do a little victory lap around my condo. And when I wrote that chapter, I got up and I just, I was just bawling my eyes out and shaking and just, um, you know, because I was trying to post a Martin Luther King quote, Martin Luther King historically <clears throat> has been one of my greatest idols. I've always looked up to him. Um, when I was a teenager, I got to perform with the first AME church. It's a gospel choir in downtown Los Angeles uh, in an event that was uh, post LA riots because of the Rodney King verdict, you know, and then we have George Floyd, which is energetically similar energy, but obviously a more intense precedent um, and a tragic precedent. And here I am trying to just contribute and, and just support, you know, people look up to me and I want to always offer a, a positive contribution. You know, how can I use this as an opportunity to guide, to lead and to inspire, to help make sense? And, you know, some people's responses were, you know, just by the color of my skin, you know, you're taking this moment away from someone else who's, it's there. All, the, all these things happen, all these swirls of responses and projections. And, um, you know, and I'm not someone, I'm not someone who just casts off what people say and goes, that's just a projection. For me and every response I've ever read online, and sometimes people say really mean things. And they hide behind keyboards and they're and they're cruel and brutal. But everything I read, I always think, is there something in there can, that can help me be better? Because that's my that's my dedication to my 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 journey, my path, and my service. And I was I was really, really um, hurt and confused by by the response because I thought I was, you know, if th there was a moment for Martin Luther King to say something, this was it. And it was just a moment where people were so angry. It was just a moment in time where love seemed so surprisingly out of season. And the misperception was people, my quote was about love. And I think people were thinking I was saying, uh, let's just be in a space of love and not look at the hard issues or whatever it was. I was just quoting Martin Luther King, you know, right. and um but what it did for me is it drove me deeper into the realization of part of what you read, which is, you know, I'm an empathic healer. I'm an empathic being. I can actually feel what it's like to be inside people's bodies. I can actually feel their brain chemistry. I can feel their emotional patterning. I can tell what's in their cellular bodies. I mean, I'm not doing this unless I'm working with them, but, and when I'm not, I can still feel things. Um, and, and there's a, there's a point where you go, I know someone's experience. And what I think I realized in that moment was I know someone's experience, even psychically, from the convenience of the shoes I fill. Right? I can sit there and go, oh, it must feel like this. Well, I'm saying it in a peaceful moment where my life is not being threatened and where, where I'm not being threatened because of how I look differently to, to someone, whether it's a police officer profile or whatever it is. And I realized I will never know the grit and gravity of someone else's experience. And what happens for all of us is that we are trying to understand people's experiences. And when we try to understand people's experiences, that means people have less to share. So if we all get into, I can't know someone's experience, then I have something to ask them about 
they have something to share. And now I'm giving someone a course corrective experience if they've been abused, marginalized, or traumatized either by a Caucasian person or by a man. And so for me, I can feel people's experiences, but to think that me feeling their experience is, is making up for the conversation we need to have where I can empath a woman giving birth. That doesn't mean I know what it's like to give birth. So I want a pregnant or a mom who is, has given birth to tell me as a man what I can't actually understand. If I'm talking to someone of a different minority, I can sense from the similarities of my emotional body what that might feel like, but I have no idea. And for me, it was a very mature realization, a very mature realization of I will never understand from someone else's perspective. And what that awoken in me was an interest to know people on their terms and conditions, to ask more questions than make assumptions, and to be someone who represents Caucasian race, I don't know, <laughs> or whatever, or a masculine form. And for me to be the one that says, in spite of how people from this race and gender may have treated you in this lifetime or before, I'm going to be the change the world needs. I'm going to be a course corrective experience. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to give you the stage. I'm going to let you be heard. I'm going to ask follow-up questions to let you know how interested I am. And our ability to connect, for me to listen, and for me to honor and value the you that is here to be seen and heard as a way of transmuting the neglect and the marginalization and the oppression of the past, it's one of the greatest gifts we can give any human being. And that for me lit a fire in me to, yeah, I can tune in empathically and do a lot of very advanced intuitive things and healing things. Absolutely. But does that mean I know what it's like to walk in the shoes of someone who may get intimidated by a police officer because of the color of their skin? I don't. But now more than ever, what I want is to hear all about it. I want to hear about the things I don't know about. I want to hear about the symbols that I never would recognize. And I want to know the beauty and the horror of every person's life so that I can give them whatever the past withheld. And that is very deep for me. We have a nice question here from Miguel and yeah. one of, and he, he says, what does it mean to be brave? The attribute of bravery, how can I cultivate that? Mm -hmm. I find lacking of it. Great question. Thank you so much for asking. We don't heal fear in order to be brave. Bravery is when we do what we know needs to be done. So what is bravery acting from? Bravery is acting from inspiration. When we act from a space of inspiration, no matter how much fear is within us, like to say to yourself, I'm so afraid of speaking this truth to someone I know, but I know the truth needs to be spoken. And I know that what the truth will bring out for both of us is more important and more valuable than the fear that I carry. 
So bravery is when we act from a space of inspiration, no matter how much fear is surging within us. And when fear no longer has the ability to, to hold us back from acting from a place of inspiration, that's when the bravery, bravery we act upon replaces the reservoir of fear active in us. So a lot of people think they have to heal fear in order to then be brave and then step across the threshold and everything will be okay. The truth is, we act from a space of bravery by saying to ourselves, no matter how afraid I am, it cannot hold me back from expressing the inspiration that only bravery can convey. And when we can express inspiration, no matter how much fear is coursing through us, that's when the fear gets transmuted and replaced with the bravery that we leaned on. And so I think when people say, I'm not brave, it's them saying, I am afraid. Being afraid doesn't mean you're not brave. Being brave says, I'm afraid, and I act from a space of inspiration, even when I'm afraid. So bravery is not the opposite of fear. Uh, fear is what we love, and we say, may the one who's afraid be loved as only I can love them. And we say to our innocence, honey, I'm going to act from inspiration. I'm going to do some bold things, and you're probably going to be afraid. And I am the love that's holding you in your fear. And I'm going to act upon the inspiration I need to act upon. I love you. I honor your fear. And we're going to do this anyway. So we're not here to soothe our fears as if it's okay that fear prevents us from following through with what inspiration needs us to share. We're not going to say, well, my inner child's afraid, so I'm not going to do the thing I need to do. What the difference between children and adults is that children can be frozen by their feelings and it can cause them to pull back instead of step forward. But an adult archetypally always knows what needs to be done. And whether they feel the best or they feel the worst, they do what needs to be done. So as adults, we honor the inner child. We say, honey, I acknowledge your fear. Thank you for telling me how afraid you are. I always want to know how you feel. And may the love inside of me soothe your fears. But it's not going to prevent me from doing what I need to do. I'm going to lead towards inspiration. We're going to be brave together. My love is going to hold you. And here we go. That's the difference. Thanks so much, Miguel, for that question. I just want to take another moment. Matt, you're so good at, at reminding us, even though we're online, I think because yeah. you do a lot of these online events, that we all are connected here. There's a field that we're all creating yeah. together. And just, I guess I just wanted to remind everyone of that and thank everyone again for their presence here. Mm -hmm. And please keep those questions rolling in. We've got about 20 more minutes. Um, there's something I wanted to ask you, chapter five. Yes. And again, everybody, I think a lot of you may already have the book. If you don't, I encourage you to, to get it. Um, it's a wonderful book. Of course, you can get it from Banyan Books, mm -hmm. banyan.com. Um, chapter five is titled, When Someone Fights Their Pain, you get pushed away and it it focuses on the attribute of worthiness yeah. now now one of the things that it seems to be a thread throughout 
um, the book is the tendency for empathic and open-hearted people to be rescuers. Mm -hmm. And you talked about your learning around that early on uh, for that tendency to be like a defense. Mm -hmm. And there's a, just a short quote that leads into a question. So you wrote, but behind the persona of a psychic superhero initially driven to rescue others from their despair, yeah. there existed a disappointed heart that had accepted the role of service as a way of not letting anyone in deeply enough to yeah. cause devastation again. Yeah. How do you suggest we work with this tendency to overgive mm -hmm. as a way of protecting ourselves from others' pain? Because we were just talking about the importance of, you know, um, philanthropy and generosity and yeah. doing things. So how do we walk that razor's edge? Well, I think, I think in life, as we love ourselves, as we heal ourselves, we come into a place of consciousness and in consciousness, we come into a place of acceptance. And when I say acceptance, we, we know that every relationship, every encounter, every experience we have on this earth plane has a starting point. If it has a starting point, it has an end point. And there's much we can benefit and, and we can glean and receive between the starting and the end points of relationships, experiences, and circumstances. But I think what happens when we become conscious, truly conscious, we are very aware of the inevitability of change, that everything that begins ends, that which is constant is only meant to change. And I don't think we have to walk around expecting people to reject us or that relationships could end at any moment. But I think that when we are awake, we have, ha we have a very positive relationship with time, with change, with death. We realize anything that has come into our lives will go. We don't know when that time is, but we're just open. And so if you meet with someone and you have an interaction and it's not how you envision the moment going, as a conscious being, we know how to process the death of expectation. Maybe you meet with someone and it's just another one of these moments where the same old pattern is revisited. And you realize as much as I love this person, I don't think they're meant to continue being a meaningful part of my life. I think what we came to do is complete. And you face that death. Or maybe like in the early example, you thought the relationship was meant to go on longer. You thought it maybe had a longer shelf life and someone else reached the death of your connection while you were still in the life of it. Tragic, harsh, real. Everything that begins ends. And sometimes it ends before you're ready for it to end. And sometimes it ends before someone else is ready to be complete. And the difference between how consciously we process it or how we use it to inspire our most unconscionable behavior is determined by our level of consciousness. And our level of consciousness is determined by how much time I spend fulfilling my own personal needs or withholding my own needs from being fulfilled by holding it over the other people's heads, waiting for other people to do for me what I fail to do for myself. And so I think when we're really exploring 
the gravity of relationship and how to not rescue people. Because when we're rescuing people, we're trying to constantly be all things to them so that we can stay in the highest status in their mind so that any deeper connection brings us further away from the fear of rejection. And we tend to think of it as trying to be the people who are always valued in the hearts of others but we can't work hard enough to be all things to all people because then we find ourselves depleted, exhausted, and resentful that how come how hard I work, no one else seems to work this hard in return. And so we have to find wholeness with our, ourselves and that the, the ability for us to hold space for our own needs, the ability to hold space for other people means that you may not expect things to end as soon as they are, you may not want them to end when they end, but it's not a shocking surprise because we're facing life from a state of consciousness. If it begins, it's going to end. Whatever is constant is only going to change. And we don't have to expect the worst. We just have to stop being intimidated by the worst because even the worst circumstances you never expected is just bringing you into the most fertile environment for your next level of expansion even if it's nothing you want, even if it doesn't feel the way you want to feel, and even if it's absolutely unfolding in a way that is opposite of how you've envisioned it. But our maturity says I don't have to like it in order for it to be the everything I need, even when it's nothing that I want. And so we, we wake up out of rescuers by coming into greater consciousness. That which is constant is only going to change. If it begins, it's only beginning to end. And what teaches us this? By being with each breath. The breath comes, the breath goes. And the more consciously we breathe in the breath, the more easily we let the breath out. And even if we thought of breath, the in-breath is a birth, the exhale is a death. And if you take the words birth and death and smoosh it together, you get the word called breath. So being with our breath allows us to be at peace with time, to not be so shocked and astonished by the change, by the loss that is life's inevitability, so that we can be more present in what's happening, so to be less devastated when it's time for that to leave. I'm just taking in the... Um the beauty of the the birth and death and the, and the word coming together as breath that's wonderful yeah yeah and so like in my life just to share and this is just how i am right i'm fully present in every moment i don't say that as like a bragging it's just it's just how it is you know a certain point of awakening it's not even like my doing like i'm in this i've been in a state of samadhi for 15 years which means there is an awakening that happened that locked into place and even though I can feel all the different feelings and I can relive my past and went through three years of emotional torment and, you know, just upheaval, I experienced it all simultaneously in a state of bliss and awakened consciousness. And most people go, well, how do you experience bliss and torment at the same time? It's possible. And it's, it's called a super state where you're experiencing many things simultaneously. But there's a certain point where you're not in, you're not being present. You're not in charge of presence. Presence is just moving through you 
in a constant trajectory of awake. And I, I think for me, because my experiences of awakening, my experience is almost like I live in the doorway of death. And maybe that's how I channel the Akashic Records so clearly, because I literally live in death's doorway. And every single day of my life, and only because when you awaken, you actually touch the vibration of death before your body is ready to give up the body, right? That's what awakening is, is dying before you die so that you can live as you've never lived before. But what's, what's interesting for me is every day what I think about, and not as a thought, but just as a feeling, because the feeling of death has always been present within me. It's like the afterlife calling me home when I'm ready. And what I always think about is are things ending. It's not sad to me. It's soothing to me that everything in my life will end. And it gives me the greatest opportunity to enjoy and receive it and embrace it. I go to, I go and have coffee with a friend, a relationship that is only beginning to end. So how would I like to make the most of this connection? No, no matter how much or how little time we have. When I go to lunch with people, I think about this. This will be the first time I've ever met them, even if I've met them before. So I meet them fresh and new. And this will be, this could be the last time we ever see each other. So I'm going to connect with them like I will never see them again. And if I do see them again, it will be brand new because every moment is a birth and a death. So I live on that edge. I live every moment of my life as, it's, as if it's the last day I will be here. Every day, I'm ready to die. Not because I don't want to be here. But that's the edge I need to be on, to be that helpful, that inspiring, that powerful, not only for you, but for me. So everything in my life is a gift because everything I've had, I've already processed the death of, including a process I was taken through during this Lionsgate portal we just went through, where my experience during the Lionsgate portal from 8.8 to 8.12 that we went through a week or so, so ago, I was taken through the complete gut-wrenching process processing the death of someone very close to me. It was as if they died. And I processed that death so intensely. And the person whose, whose life I processed the death of was mine. I've even processed my own death. So that with whatever remaining time I have, being Matt Kahn, will be savored. And that's such an important thing we all learn to do as we wake up, as we process the death of all that we have so we can enjoy what we do have and never allow things to end without what needs to be said. This is how we live with no regrets. And this is the possibility for all of us Death, ending, change 
at a certain point is not a surprise. And if we don't want to be surprised by what ends and what dies, then let's make the most of every moment with every person we have. Let's meet them for the first time and let's interact like it's our last. And let every day be an opportunity to meet yourself as if for the first time, as if it's the last day you'll ever be you. That's the field I speak to you from. I'll meet you there as we are now. A little tribute to Rumi in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we probably have time for one, maybe two more audience questions. We're coming towards our ending. Sure. The death yeah. of our event. Oh, the, the end of our... Oh, it's gotta die. Everything's got to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh. What questions should we end with? Well, here's this is a, a probably a really good one that just came up from Sagara. Yeah. Could you offer some insight to how I or we can cultivate the connection with loved ones that have passed without it getting too weird and quote unquote spiritual bypassy? I love it. In a way that feels like we're trying to make it okay, even though it still hurts and feels so tender. I love that. Yeah. And a, a spiritual bypass free answer. Okay. How about this? <laughs> Every time we miss our loved ones and we feel grief in our hearts, it's actually the moment one of our loved ones is saying hello to us from the other side. And the grief in our hearts is a part of our ego that says, because I'm not adept to perceiving higher dimensional experiences, because the ego does not have access to the third eye. And only through the third eye can we, can we have these kinds of otherworldly connections. But the grief is the ego saying, the feedback of my loved one saying hello from the other side is a language and message that I can't interpret. And so what happens is the ego interprets grief as the loss or missing of someone who has passed. The moment grief, we, we feel a moment of grief, even if you think about a loved one and you want to cry, that's actually that's that loved one near you saying, I'm with you, honey. And the grief is just our way of saying, I acknowledge that my loved ones are always with me. And I'm still in the process of opening up my psychic gifts to be able to perceive that transcendent truth. And so grief is actually our loved ones saying hi. That's not the only way they say hi, but sometimes when we feel grief and we miss people, that's actually them trying to get our attention. And we may be misperceiving the grief as what's in the way of the connection, but the grief is actually the proof of the connection. And if we say to ourselves, my loved ones are always here with me, They're always watching over me, always walking with me. And when I miss them the most is when their souls are the most present with me. And then at a certain point, the grief of loss becomes the remembrance of interconnection. And so just to wrap up this beautiful time together, let's try all this together as a repeat after me. 
and I may touch on this or maybe even something more universal. I acknowledge. I acknowledge. I am more powerful than I may ever know. I am more powerful than I may ever know. And just because I don't know it. And just because I don't know it. Doesn't mean I can't experience it. Doesn't mean I can't experience it. I acknowledge that grief is how my loved ones say hello. I acknowledge that grief is how my loved ones say hello. Not evidence. Not evidence. Of how far apart we are. Of how far apart we are. And in the name of perceiving my loved ones. And in the name of perceiving my loved ones. More clearly. More clearly. And allowing any grief of loss. And allowing any grief of loss. To be a remembrance of interconnection. To be a remembrance of interconnection. And to allow this moment to be experienced. And to allow this moment to be experienced. From the highest level of power. From the highest level of power. Not a power that's in control of things. Not a power that's in control of things. But a power that moves through things. But a power that moves through things. Knowing as people. Knowing as people. We are far more likely. We are far more likely. To remember how we were supported. To remember how we were supported. Instead of the details of what divided us. Instead of the details of what divided us. And in knowing it is so. And in knowing it is so. I allow more of the tangibility. I allow more of the tangibility. Presence. Presence. Abundance. Abundance. And infinite power. And infinite power. Of my soul's eternal light. Of my soul's eternal light. To be activated and awakened. To be activated and awakened. And to move through me. And to move through me. And to live as me. And to live as me. For the benefit of my journey. For the benefit of my journey. To increase communication with my loved ones on the other side. To increase communication with my loved ones on the other side. And to support the healing of humanity. And to support the healing of humanity. Where I activate the most incredible windfall. Where I activate the most incredible windfall. Of miracles, abundance, fulfillment. Of miracles, abundance, fulfillment. And transcendent joy. And transcendent joy. As I use all of my abilities. As I use all of my abilities. To benefit our planet. To benefit our planet. To begin thinking and acting. To begin thinking and acting. As the evolving spiritual master. As the evolving spiritual master. I am now. I am now. And so it is. And so it is. I am the light, the light I am. I am the light, the light I am. <sighs> Folks, we've been speaking with our dear friend, Matt Kahn. His newest book is called All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. Mm -hmm. Encouraging everyone who doesn't already have a copy to, to get one. You can get it on at Banyan.com or visit us in person in Vancouver. Matt, any anything 
upcoming you want to share with people any projects or people can get involved with sure i mean currently we're in angel academy 14 i think tomorrow monday is the third or third call or it could be third or fourth of the se- the series people can still sign up it's a tremendous series we're doing where we're, we're going through some of the lowest emotional lowest emotionals and lowest vibrational emotions that usually catch us and how can we transform it so not to get stuck and constantly get triggered and plummet and you know just everything that i'm doing is really for the empathic being and what do you as an empathic being need to heal to step into your most miraculous timeline and not wait for the rest of the world to wake up before you can thrive and shine so i would ask every one of us on this call to please go to matcon.org sign up for angel academy 14 you can listen to the first three calls they all come with infinite replays and you know this is our time to step into our power and this is our time to let love lead the way and this is our most ripe opportunity to continue evolving and uniting our planet and manifesting heaven on earth which is more tangible now no matter how the world seems so may we all come together may we all unite in love and remember how absolutely powerful we are for the benefit of all thank you matt thank you everybody yeah love you all thanks for joining us for branches of wisdom our producer is Jacob Steele. The show is edited by Abdo Habani. And I'm your host, Ross Mikichi. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com.